Hey guys, welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. Our guest today is the creator of the social network, Braun, and we get into talking about how they are bringing together businesses and investors. Now, we get into some really scary waters when we start talking about how technology and innovation are going to be a disruptive force, not only to governments, but to the financial industry as a whole, and why there is such a suppression on this type of information. Guys, today's guest, Thomas Samuelson. Welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. Uh, guys, we've got a great guest today, Thomas Samuelson. Thomas, thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Neil. Looking forward to uh, talking with you today. Yeah. It, so, Thomas, you, you've got a 30-year career in finance, but we want to talk a little bit about uh, the Braun social network that you've built and that uh, that you're continuing to build. Uh what what's sort of the problem that you that it solves there and why did you you know why did you sort of build that because you built that during the pandemic yeah so the problem we're solving is a problem that i had as a professional investor so i worked for a, a large hedge fund the last I, I spent 30 years on wall street the last 20 was working as a, what we call a professional investor. This, this is someone who we manage money for large pension funds, for billionaires, this type of thing. Uh, we didn't deal with the public. And I, my job was to uh, invest in developing countries and, outside, and also countries outside the U.S. So I was in China all the time, in Brazil and Russia, and traveling and, and visiting and investing in large public companies. And one of the, one of the problems I, I had through the years was I've always had to... Uh, my access to these companies uh, and engagement was always through a middleman, through an investment bank. So whether it be Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Merrill Lynch, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, you know all the all the big banks out there, they're all involved in investment banking, and I didn't want to rely on them anymore because it, it became cumbersome. And 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 like in any type of business, a middleman, you know, this is this is what technology is for to cut out the middleman to make things more efficient. So I I started thinking about ways to uh, find ways to to connect uh, large investors or any type of investor directly with companies. Originally, we started with a, I had a video company prior to the pandemic. We I had my own video technology, and uh, we connected companies. We did we, we we still do some video production. We connected companies directly with investors. It sounds like old hat today, but prior to the pandemic, there was maybe two percent of meetings were taking place on video as opposed to you know in-person meetings directed directed through these middlemen absolutely then as the pandemic hit we were looking to uh, we were booming and but we we're looking looking for other things because i knew i saw that a video was going to become commoditized and it has become commoditized so we said okay how how can we solve this problem other than using video and it was the idea behind saying okay one of the problems is that a lot of the information public companies produce a lot of what, what i call content so it's uh, press releases, financial statements, uh, regulatory uh, statements. They produce a lot of uh, educational things for investors, PDF presentations, a lot, most of this information, and now videos, most of this information no one ever sees because they pay $1,000 to PR agents who send it out to the cloud. 
And other than Bloomberg, no one else picks it up. So whether it's Yahoo Finance or uh, or MarketWatch.com, they 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 print maybe ten percent of what these companies are publishing because the idea with, with regular media is to present things to get people to come back and and for their advertisers. So the problem that companies have is they're spending thousands of dollars all around the world producing this information that nobody's seen. So we decided to create an, an application ecosystem to to uh, aggregate all this information in one. So we're like an Expedia or a Zillow, but instead of travel and real estate, we're we're uh, aggregating information from from companies. And instead of creating a database or a website, we decided to say, okay, what's what's happening? What's happening today? Where are people absorbing news? Where are people going to information? They're not. They're going to social media. They're going on their phone. They're going to you know Facebook Messenger. They're going to Twitter. They're going to Instagram. They now they're going to TikTok, absorbing news. So we just said, okay, we're not going to build another website and competing. What we're going to do is we're going to build a social network, the first social network connecting companies and investors. And that's how the Braun uh, uh, Investor Network began. Okay. So basically, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, one of the things that because there was this huge influx into, uh, you know, online, uh, obviously, during uh, COVID, uh, and and you were seeing what was going on for companies and for investors, and you were and you basically saw okay that material is not getting out there uh, because it's getting swallowed up in these feeds of of thousands and millions of of these different posts, and so um, and rather than just creating another news site, you thought hey let's let's create a bit of the you know the education and entertainment aspect uh, simultaneously is that that's sort of what i'm catching so far yes and then the other the other dynamic that has that exploded from the beginning of the pandemic is there has been an increase and and i call this in the us the robin hood effect but we're seeing the robin hood effect all over the world to give you an, to give you an idea for example in in, in south america where we have uh, a, lot, a lot of partnerships with the stock exchanges prior to the pandemic you know let's say mexico thought there was maybe 200,000 individuals trading in the Mexican mar- local markets in Mexico. A year, a year and a half later, data came out. There was almost 1 million new people had, had trading. So no matter where we go, whether it's in Chile, Brazil, which has been an absolute explosion, you know, even in Russia, before the markets closed, there were 7.5 million new investors in a, in a year came into the Russian uh, local equity exchange. So this is a phenomenon happening in the UK, in France, Obviously, China, India were have been leaders in terms of local investors. So, and these local investors have almost no access to the information that the institutions have. So, in a sense, we're trying to democratize information to open form. And again, the majority of these investors that came on recently are younger investors. They're millennials, they're Gen Z, and they are, are much more interested in what they invest in rather than their rather than the boomers who just want to just have a financial plan and eventually ETF or a mutual fund. No, no, no. The younger people want to know the companies. They, they have really interest in, in directly investing in the markets, in companies, whether it's options, equity. So the, this is the, the target market that just has evolved because of this, this uh, phenomenon that happened, obviously, uh, uh, after the pandemic. That that's very interesting. What what do you see that interests 
Gen Z and millennials about investing or more importantly, investing, knowing exactly what they're investing in? Why, why is that so important to them? You know, there's, there's a lot of dynamics. I just saw this morning how the, the Gen Z population, when they pull Gen Zs, more than 60% of them want to be entrepreneurs, want to be financially independent. That's the highest percentage of any generation ever, right? Yeah. Ever. I mean, so so they have this this mindset where, you know, this they, they want to be financially independent. They call it, they, and they all want this, they use this term called passive income. We want pa more passive income. I want to work for a company, we want passive income. And obviously, you, we've, you know, most of them have grown up in an environment where stocks have only gone up, unfortunately for them. But yeah, so they, they've, yeah. they've seen a lot of wealth creation. They, you know, they, they idolize people, not idolize, but they see people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos who are you know, worth $100 billion, $200 billion on stocks, right? These, these are not people. Jeff Bezos never worked for a salary, right? He probably had a dollar salary. It's all equity. So they see this and they want it, right? They want it more than the boomers. That They're willing to take risk because they're younger. And if you want to take risk and you want to make a lot of money, historically, the place to make it, there's only two places to make it. You see the stock market and real estate. And that's where these younger people see the opportunities and they want to, and they, and they don't, by the way, they also don't want a financial advisor. So they don't want some, you know, 60 year old guy telling them how to put their money in a fund. They want to do it directly. And when they do it directly, they're interested also in sustainable. Let's say they want to direct, they, they want to know what they're investing in. They want to invest in companies. And that's, that's the environment we're in today. And I think that environment is going to continue for quite some time. Yeah, that actually, that's so interesting. And, and perhaps you can comment on this because what I, when when I think about what you're saying there, the first thing I see is, you know, for the boomers, they saw their parents' generation going through the the, the depression and post depression, and and so they came out and by and large, worked nine to five, you know, eight to four, and worked their whole lives, put money into stocks, this kind of stuff, mutual funds, whatever, and and just save and off they went. And now they're starting to uh, be able to pull on that. Then then you had that next generation, the uh, Gen X, and they were they were out there seeing how much their parents were working and you know, wanted something a little bit different. So you saw a little bit more into business and uh, business ownership and but then there's still this huge amount of work that went into, you know, my generation. And but then there's this next generation that's saying we want, especially with the ad advances in technology, we want a little bit of both. We're not afraid to to work so much, but we want to be able to enjoy more of it rather than waiting for this end goal. And and it seems like each one takes a little piece from what they saw and maybe uh, trying to avoid what they what they didn't like is that sort of what you're pointing to? Yeah, it's exactly it's exactly right. I mean, it's again, it's demographic shifts, right? It's all yeah. of the all of this is 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 coming to coming now into and um, and and a lot of them don't like um, one of the things that we've noticed is a lot of them like to be uh, to be able to move. Uh, you know, the Gen Z, the millennials, really like to be able to move around they they like traveling a whole lot more uh even though we would talk about traveling they want to do it and figure out how that works into their life as well so there's a there's a lot of uh movement there and so as you're talking about all these other countries um being involved 
you're, you know, you're sort of pointing to something about, I don't know, globalism. Yeah, I mean, globalism is a is. I think I think you're right, but maybe globalism isn't the right term. I think what you're. Mm-hmm. I think what's happened is social media, right? So there is a big social media component here, right? So globalism in reference to social media. So now, you know, younger people or anybody who's on social media. By the way, people. There's a lot of older people on social media as well. Can see what's going on all over the world, right? <laughs> so you know, someone, yeah. you know, a kid sitting in Denmark can see. You know, some somebody posting in California about this extravagant trip they just took in Mexico and that person in Denmark, I want to go to that place in Mexico. And they're working for a typical company in Denmark. They're making a salary enough to pay their rent and they need more. They, they want more. So how can I get more? I have to have what they call passive income. I have to have something yeah. other than my job. So what yeah. can I do? Could I invest in an apartment and rent it out or like an Airbnb or can I buy some stocks and make some money? So. This is again, when you say globalism, it's really social media. The the, ex- right. the explosion of social media has create has allowed information, has allowed you know just people to present their lifestyles and look people say, hey, I want that lifestyle. I don't mm-hmm. want to just sit there like. And again, you made a great point. They watch their parents working nine to five, going on the basic vacation. <laughs> These kids don't want the basic vacation. They want to go to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. They want to go to you know, wherever they want to go to uh, yes. you know, Spain and they want to live it up and they want to party. And that's, and you need money for that, right? Yeah. So, oh my goodness. I, I've got, I've got kids and uh, one's off to university and, and then the second one is getting ready uh, to go next year. And she says, uh, well, dad, I want to, I want to go tour uh, some different campuses. I said, tour campuses for what? Uh, she said, well, you know, I want to see what it's like. And I was like, and, and I said, how about you figure out what program you want to take, and then we'll go to the the best schools that teach that. I'm not here to to fund uh, your social program. You know, uh, you tell me what it is you want to study, and we'll figure out what school to go to. But it it was interesting because I would never have even had the thought to wonder what's the campus life like. It would have been what's the best place to go to to learn that subject, and and right. so to to what you're saying, yeah, there is this real element of, you know, I want to uh, I want to sort of have it all um, as w- that that's that's really intriguing, because perhaps in my generation there was never this idea of you know have it all you you're there's going to be trade offs. Right. And so that, yeah. that's sort of interesting. I, I don't know what I, I'm going to have to think about that one a little bit more. But let, I, I'm, I'm re- this is really interesting that the Braun Social Network has really been able to bring in this group, because one of the things that we found is that or that we've seen is that among uh, Gen Z and millennials is that a lot of them don't have this real idea of investing in that they they really do want to live all of this have all of this life and so is this a subsection of of this whole uh you know demographic that you're seeing and then like almost like you're seeing the elite of all of these countries that are uh that are looking to to come invest how would you how would you know i i think i think it's the opposite neil i think it, yes. again because of social media 
Yeah. A lot of this information is available to, I mean, the information on, let's say, travel or, you know, is available to everybody. So, yeah. you know, no matter what your what your income level is or what your demographic level is in, in any country, you could be on Instagram, you could be on Twitter, you could be on Facebook, you could be on TikTok, you could be on YouTube. Yeah. And you could watch people from anywhere in the world living it up. And yeah. so you want to, and so it, what it does, it, it, it creates a fire in the belly. And these, you know, the younger people, whether, again, and then you look at this Robin Hood generation. So whether you have $10 or $10,000, doesn't matter. Like, so all of these trading applications have, have and, and, and the, 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 they're, they're open to everyone, right? So you think about 20 years ago, you couldn't open an account at Merrill Lynch if you're a kid. You couldn't open an account at Morgan Stanley. Get out of here, right? Now, they're Robin Hood and there's El Toro. There's all these companies. There's all these firms around the world, you know, TD Ameritrade, whatever it is, Schwab. You can open an account with $10, even $100. This is what they call the democratization of trading because it allows everyone to participate. Where in the past, yeah. it was only the elite. Wow, that, that, that is interesting because, I mean, my kids, I involve them in investing in that. But uh, one of my daughters, the same one that wanted to travel, um, actually wanted to open you know, a trading account. And uh, we we were going through different, contacting different banks, trying to find out what it would take to get on their platforms and so that she could trade. And, and no one would give her access other than, uh, you know, because of her age, uh, being underage would not uh, give her access because she can't be held liable, obviously. So I said, okay, that that's interesting. Um, but what you're pointing to is that there is this great desire to be able to do that, to be able to build passive income and uh, to be able to enjoy life with all of that as well. And so you're bringing that into the Braun Network now. And so investors, people that are interested in, interested in investors can now come onto this side and be able to interact but the companies on the other side, they're able to get more of their information out. But now, how do you get around the, because typically you've got to deal with pretty sophisticated or accredited investors as they're called here in Canada. Do you run into any of those types of restrictions or regulations um, as you're dealing with? Not at all, network? because we're, we, we're not in the business of research or recommending companies or putting in news. We're, we're, we're looking at the signal, not the noise, right? So we're taking information that companies are producing on a legal basis for investors, right? So they're, they're producing this, this data no matter what, and we're just making it easily accessible. We're, we're, not, we're not favoring one company or another. We're saying, okay, if you, you so let's, let's look at it practically. You come into the Brown Investor Network, just like Instagram or, or Facebook, you follow you know, 30 companies. OK, and because you follow those 30 companies on your home feed, you on real time, you're going to get the data or the, the content they're publishing in real time. Right. So this is also helping the companies. So what the companies say is, OK, I finally have a, a platform where I can reach out directly to investors. Sure. You could try it on Twitter or Instagram, but there's too much noise. It's right. never going to. And also you have algorithms that block a lot of content. 
Right. But with our with our network, there's no algorithm blocking any content. So you can, as a company, acquire an audience of investors, direct your investors to this platform. And now you can have a really, really direct outreach to your investors using this platform. So there's a wow. there's a double edged sword to it. So so what what size uh, companies do you find are are aggregating on your network? Uh, from the largest to the smallest, it doesn't matter. We have really? Tesla on our network. We have obscure companies. Uh, we're we're are we started in Latin America, right? So that's we have about four hundred fifty companies there. So we've got you know small cap companies, small cap thirty million, twenty million, and we've got you know twenty billion dollar companies. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter the size of the company; they all want the same thing. They all and again, this goes back to the problem solving. They want to. They want a more efficient way to attract new investors. They want a better way to communicate with investors and engage with investors. And so we offer something for everyone. Wow, that that is uh, that's really interesting. Um, just out of curiosity, do you have um, do you have real estate investors and uh, hard money lenders, private mortgage guys? Do you have that kind of uh, integration onto your network? No, not yet. We if, oh, okay. if, it's, if it's a public company, I, actually, I'm on the board of one of the largest developers, real estate developers in Mexico. But that's another that's another story for another time. Yes. Um, okay. But no, unless it's a public. Again, we only deal in public companies. Public companies. Oh, publicly <clears throat> traded. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay, that 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 makes sense. Okay, so publicly traded companies. <laughs> I because I'm one of the things that you know, even for myself as a real estate investor and having a group of investors, um, you know, and we do we do acquisitions and we also do um, we also do uh, hard money loans, this kind of stuff, um, private mortgages. And so a lot of that, I don't really advertise per se as, you know, like a Grant Cardone or someone like that. Um, and, but it was, it, you know, you just kind of had me there for a second. I thought, Oh, that's really interesting. You found a way because that's really what we do. And I get people that call me and say, hey, I'm interested in investing and um, and we go around it. But I'm not able to advertise in the same way that a publicly traded company would be able to. So so that's that's uh, that's really interesting. Now, what have you found? Obviously, the pandemic has just uh, exploded growth for you. And what are you finding now as restrictions have kind of been lifted in most places, even here in Canada, we've now finally lifted our restrictions, finally, which we're grateful for. But um, how are you finding that shift? Because, you know, we've also seen a shift where a lot of people have moved off of social media or, or aren't using it as much now that they're, they've got a little bit more freedom to be able to, to go out again. Um, hasn't affected all. In fact, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's helped. It. And let me tell you why. So prior to the pandemic, if you think about finance in general or, you know, a lot, a lot of businesses, they weren't using certain tools, like in this case, whether it's video, whether it's other yeah. things. And what they've discovered is that on a communications basic, look, look at us today, you know, video has just exploded yeah. in use. I mean, there are, I mean, talk about your industry, po the podcast industry has absolutely exploded because of yeah. video. Yeah. And people aren't going to people aren't going to change overnight and say, well, let's go back to fly. I'm going to fly to Canada and meet with Neil. No, that's not going to happen. You're going to your guests yeah. are going to be remote. So video is here to stay uh, yeah. and it's, it, because it's a lot more efficient. 
again, what yeah. we're doing is we've taken, we're aggregating information and it's better than it was before. So we're, we're opening access, opening markets to people that didn't have access before. That's not going to change. That's going to actually grow and grow and grow. So the fact that uh, the pandemic is over, it doesn't mean anything. What the pandemic did, the positive things the pandemic did was, you know, and again, in our little, in our little you know, sphere here, video has exploded. Other things, technology has made things more fit. It's cutting out middlemen, cutting out, tra- you know, the need for traveling. It's still a lot of po- positive things. Obviously, the, the, it did a lot of yeah. really bad things, but the positive things that it's done are here to stay. So video wow. as well as platforms like ours, they're, they're just going to continue to grow. Yeah, well, I mean, prior to the pandemic, I probably, other than FaceTime, uh, I probably used video conferencing maybe 10 times total prior to the pandemic. And then all of a sudden now it's a regular course, you know, uh, of business using um, using it for, for this type of podcast, uh, social media, you know, it has... It has just obviously exploded. And one thing that I found interesting is entire generations uh, of people that would completely avoid, like the plague, avoid the Internet and all of these functions on the Internet. Everyone has jumped on from, you know, ordering, buying stuff online, banking, all of these things. A, a shift that I thought would take somewhere in the range of 20 to 30 years happened in two. Yeah. And just to give, put it in a financial perspective. So if you look at the use of video in finance, right? So connecting either, you know, an advisor to a client or a company to an investor, I would say prior to the pandemic, we were in that business, less than 2% of meetings were done oh. using video. It went to a hundred percent overnight. It's yeah. not going back to 2%. It's probably yeah. going to stay around the 50, 60% because it's just too efficient not to. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to travel. I mean, companies used to get on planes, travel all over the, you know, New York, London. It was fun. They would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to meet, you know, 15, 20 investors. Now they can meet 100 investors and it costs them nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I remember before the pandemic trying to do real estate transactions where we've got lawyers and you know everyone involved and lawyer some lawyers would refuse unless they met someone in person they would refuse to deal with with certain people and and you think come on guys can we not do a video conference or something like that no that was just the way it was done now no nobody wants to see i do not know a lawyer that's really trying to get someone into the office anymore they all want to everyone wants to meet online and so what you're saying absolutely uh correct and uh it i'm definitely seeing it out there so so there has really been this shift and and so for your network for the Braun network as you're continuing to grow more people are more companies more investors are coming on board um what you're finding is there's really something there between being able to have the end user get the real detailed information from from the companies and that's really been the breakthrough for you yeah it's it's all about financial education so you you put yeah. this big category called financial education the big problem that companies have 
is they don't understand because they've been catering to the banks and to the large investors. Yes. They don't understand what the individual investor needs and they don't, they don't know how to deal with them. And what we're showing them is you don't have to do anything differently. You're already producing a lot of, you just got to make it available to them. Right. Just, and once they do that, then, then there's this whole other, you know, explosion that the, the companies can find. I'll give, I'll give an example off of our platform. So you take AMC, for example, which was involved in this whole meme stock craziness. The result of, of, of that was the AMC, the, the CEO, the, owner, the guy who runs AMC, realized that he could use uh, Twitter and other platforms to communicate directly with the shareholders, bypass the banks and get his message directly, bypass Reddit and all these other. So he, I mean, again, this is one of many examples. They're using social media. Is a is a big positive, especially when you're trying to you know herd cats in a sense, right? So investors, well, you're herding cats, so it allows you to have a, a direct voice. So you you avoid misinformation, you avoid bias, all of this stuff that's out there. I mean, Elon Musk does a great job of that too. Um, but at the end of the day, you know you have you know hundreds of thousands of public companies out there that don't have this the voice, and we're trying to give them this voice to help them speak directly to the investors. Yeah. I, well, well, look, I think it's brilliant because I, I remember going into the banks and it's interesting that you've mentioned the banks and uh, you, you've you've had a direct experience with them because I remember going into the banks and asking some questions and they said, oh, yeah, well, you can invest in this. You can invest in the, this and uh, and this fund and this fund and i said okay well can you tell me what's in this fund i like the sound of it can you tell me and so then they start giving you this breakdown of what's in the fund and i said okay can can you tell me what companies are actually in that fund uh oh well there's companies like uh you know that are doing developments that are doing that no no can you tell me the actual companies that are there and uh, i said i i get that you may not have that information available right now can you get me that information and for starters they, they did they didn't have any idea of what was in the funds number one number two they had no idea where to even gather that information to be able to provide it to me didn't know if it was available or any of that kind of uh, that kind of stuff and you think wait you're you're providing me financial advice, but yet you really have no idea what this is comprised of other than this chart, this pie chart that shows you that this is, you know, and so there's a certain amount of distrust that I think um, even what you're talking with, with Gen Z and millennials, what they're seeing, because how do we know that what what's actually being shown is is what we think it is, right? Like you're giving us this, a sales pitch, but we have no idea where you're now able to get people connected directly with the companies. Yeah, exactly right. And I think I, I think I mentioned it. Like, so, so you have the younger people, the Gen Zs, millennials, they don't want to deal with their father's financial advisor, right? The <laughs> bank guy, right? right? And they, 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 because yeah. he doesn't offer any value to them. He, you, yeah. you ask the question, what's in this? And I don't know. So they're, they're salespeople, they don't really know. So there's a there's this trend saying, hey, I want more information. I want to learn more. I want to have I want to understand what I'm doing as opposed to just allowing someone to make decisions for me. And you're 100 yeah. percent correct. That's yeah. the trend, and that's 
hopefully the space where, uh, where we're, we're doing uh, what we should be doing. Well, here's here's an interesting thing. Uh, you, you were sort of touching on this, being able to bypass some of these middlemen. And um, it's it's why I have some interest in the crypto space even, um, because y you've got what you run into in most of business is you you run into these different I don't know what you want to call them watchdogs you you got you've got different people in between that that have to steer you you've got to go to them they're going to tell you yes and they're going to tell you no you have slippage you know in in along there because everyone's taking money along uh, along the way and you know as it pertains to real estate you you're at the bias of whoever is in between right whoever's in that in between it's it can be very difficult to make your own decisions I, I even going to the bank and for me trying to do transactions and um and they will be asking you questions and i'm thinking do, what qualifies you to even have any idea of to evaluate this transaction this investment and uh you know but but they are all set up to to try to have the image that they know what they're doing and you should listen to us. And what you're talking about is sort of, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's revolutionary, uh, Niels. Revolutionary, revolutionary, right? <laughs> not, because because not only are you challenging the authorities in in power right now, but to some degree you're taking money out of their pockets because that money that would have gone through there, right? Um, you're you're now bypassing and and showing people another way to to go ahead and and get involved, so that makes you a bit of a dangerous man. Number one, number two. Uh, let me just ask you this question as it pertains to crypto and Web three and blockchain. Do you have any thoughts on all of that and its ability to revolutionize? Uh, finance and with that technology uh revolutionized finance making money wealth creation all of that well uh, what i want to say is a little controversial but yeah not only do i agree i think that web3 and and blockchain which is a technology underneath crypto has has been suppressed uh no doubt in my mind i mean you know you you hear the rhetoric from i'm not going to name the banks but no matter the all the large banks uh, all have these fintech funds in there. Yeah, we're interested in crypto, blockchain, whatever. No, they're interested in blockchain to suppress it because if blockchain, uh, which has been around for quite some time, if it was allowed to sort of, you know, become what it should be, it would put the banks out of business. I mean, if you think about what blockchain, the, essentially what blockchain is, the ledger, I mean, it, 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 the, the most profitable business that brokers and banks have is, is bond trading, right? Because why? Because it's, there's no transparency, right? So stock market trading is now a, a zero sum business because it's trading is uh, free and there's always been price transparency. Well, in bond trading, in private equity, there's no transparency. And that's why these guys have made billions of dollars over the last 30, 40 years. Blockchain should eliminate that. So what do these guys do? They've invested it to suppress it. They know it's going to happen but they've been suppressing the technology underneath crypto because it will put them all out of business because it offers price transparency. And every time you offer price transparency, the middleman is gone. Yeah. That's oh my goodness. Well, if, if people understood, if people understood how backwards the, 
<laughs> the finance uh, industry really is. Uh, you know, I think it would blow their minds because everything seems seamless. Everything has the occurrence that it all works nicely when, in fact, you know, money gets lost every day in transfers. They charge for for really doing nothing, right? That that this is one of the things that I see crypto really um, and blockchain technology revolutionizing is because you can transfer funds from here to a place that has no physical bank like that with with zero slippage right with nothing in the transaction costs really um but but meanwhile we've done transactions and just going sending money from one bank to another and they and they lose it and you find out oh well, it's very they're still yeah. yeah or it's very expensive and uh, and you think there's got to be a a cleaner way to be able to do this and uh, make the transactions faster, cheaper, uh, all of these, and more transparent. And uh, I think, I think you're right to a great degree in terms of they understand that it will affect their bottom line. So the question that I really have to ask, because you have the experience, and and perhaps call me a skeptic here, will the governments pressured by the banks, will they really allow this level of technology to see the light of day? Because we're talking, we're talking trillions, if not more in dollars. Well, they have no choice because it's here to stay and it's, it's evolving rapidly. And I mean, just take a, this, you mentioned one thing about a money transfers. Okay. So one of the, one of the interesting things that have come out over the last year, okay, it's, it's controversial, are these stable coins, right? So yes. um, there are a lot of companies, I'm not going to say if we use them, but I know a lot about it. There are a lot of companies that can that use stable coins to pay offshore contractors, offshore, offshore um, employees, et cetera, because, you know, transferring money as a bit, a small, let's take a small business, as a small business to try to pay an offshore contractor or an offshore employee on a monthly basis, it's incredibly expensive. PayPal or your local bank. I mean, transferring, doing money transfer, they they gorge you on the exchange, or PayPal hits yeah. you with fees. It's just it's just yeah. incredible. It's disgusting, actually. Yeah. Whereas a stable coin, you know, you open an account at you know Coinbase or who, who, some of the others, and the other guy opens it a point, other person opens an account there in another country. It doesn't matter what country it is, and you buy a stable coin which is one and you and you and you transfer the stable coin the volatility there's no volatility right and I'll, I'll go into why that's important later but there's no volatility and that person receives that stable coin and can transfer that stable coin through their through their crypto account to whatever currency they want right they want dollars they want euros doesn't but they want local currency it doesn't matter and the cost is almost zero so I mean there's no way to stop it. Obviously, you've seen recently regulators in the U.S., and you're going to see this in Europe well, they're, they're talking about, oh, the, you know, maybe we should uh, do a digital currency, right? Because they Absolutely. See, oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Go go ahead. <laughs> no, because they- You, you they, got me triggered now. You got me triggered now, Tom. Okay, go, go for it. Because they see that paper money is, I mean, I, I've had cash in my wallet for a month and never use it. There's no, there's no reason for paper money. 
but they also see it as a way of control, right? So the, the idea, most people don't understand what, how, what Bitcoin really was when it was created. Um, and if you, I read the white paper. So if you read the white paper, you understand Bitcoin. This is why I, I'm not a really big fan of the crypto. And I'll explain that in a second. But if you, if you look at what digital money is, why does the government want digital money? Because it's control. They don't want Bitcoin to be out there because they don't have control over it. So governments are going to digitize their own currency. They're going to do it because the technology is open to anyone. It's an open source yeah. technology. Yeah. So they're going to do it, right? Have, having, but I think the the entity, and it doesn't mean not, not a government, but the entity that's able to, let's say, digitize their currency, tie it to gold, make it a digital gold, right? That's the true that's the true uh, breakthrough. That's the true disruption because, you know, gold has been around as a, as a store of value and currency for 3,000 years, maybe more. So if, you did, if you're able to digitize gold or back a digital currency by gold, you legitimize that all of a sudden. It becomes, because you can't carry around gold, but you can carry around yeah. on your phone, you know, Bitcoin, right? So yeah. you, you, you eliminate the volatility of the cryptocurrencies, which is the big problem with the currencies is the volatility. Yeah. And you all of a sudden, I'm giving someone an idea to do this. You're giving someone now a way to carry around, you know, hard money, or you talk, you know, hard money, right? Hard money in their, in their phone. Right? Yeah. That's the game changer. Now the governments don't ever want that. Right. Why would the, so they're going to try to do it on their own with their own currencies. So everyone's going to be used. So the use of blockchain technology is just going to it's just going to explode because everyone's trying to get to this same level. Thomas, I here. Okay, oh man, I got you going, yeah. Huh? Oh, you, you got me. <laughs> Look here. Here's the thing that when I hear that, and even when I think it, is is this that is so disruptive to our world economy that it would ha it would trigger world war three like there because you and i know uh, look there's no conspiracy theory here we know that it's manipulated we the governments tell us that they manipulate our our currencies they they raise interest rates they lower interest rates without even getting into the real conspiracy theories just this is what we do. We raise it, we lower it to slow down, speed up our economy. And print and money too. That's the big. That's right, right? Printing, take putting it into circulation, taking it out, and we see the effects. COVID has been a great case study on that. Watching what happens when you inject cash into the system, what happens when you start pulling it out, and and so we're seeing that right now, right now. If what we're talking about, what you're talking about comes to pass, it, it would be complete anarchy because governments would not, every, it's like we're on crack and we've got drug dealers in with these geographic lines all around the world that control that. How in the world would it be possible for the world economy to, to get to that place where we could actually go back to some type of stable currency that was pegged against something. Uh, I mean, I, I can't, I actually, you've got a map right behind you. Um, and I can see in the corner there, it shows Libya. And the last guy that I remember that tried to peg uh, that continent's currency to gold, uh, you, you know, he ended up getting invaded and, you know, was called a, 
a lot of things and and of course killed but um you know we're talking about Gaddafi and never mind what you think about him we know that that happened and and we don't know what happened to any of the gold stockpile that he had disappeared so how in the world could what you're talking about really happen and how could the world governments like is this possible not only is really it's it, it's going to happen i mean it's it's going to happen so the way the way the governments are going to come you know that's just crazy this. that's just crazy i can't i can't it's gonna happen. tell me okay well, okay the, give us give us the you know, give us the scenario here's scenario happens first of all this is kind of controversial you need most of the cryptos to go to zero that's what you need so there's two thousand okay. cryptocurrency you need you know, 1,950 of them wow. to go to zero. That's number wow. one. Wow. Okay. The only way to stabilize Bitcoin is to wipe out the other cryptos. Bitcoin over the last six months has had the volatility, in, inherent vol. I'm using Wall Street term, volatility crypto has come down dramatically. It's actually been stable, right, at, this, at these levels. And it acts, when you, have, when you have low volatility, that's, what a currency should be, right? So when Bitcoin is moving from twenty thousand to sixty thousand, back to twenty thousand, that's not a that's not a currency. That's 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 a that's just a speculative asset. But when it's when the volat and the volatility was through the roof, when the volatility stabilizes, it becomes more of you know acceptable, right? And it becomes a medium of exchange. Medium of exchange. The yeah. problem has been is that you've you've allowed or not not allowed, but people have just you know, you know, just created all these cryptocurrencies out of out of thin air. And if you think about it, what they what they've done is essentially what they what they what the whole idea is against the whole idea of what Bitcoin was created about was against fiat currency printing money. So you're mm -hmm. every time a new crypto is created, you're printing another Bitcoin. You're printing money. So you need these things to get wiped out. They, they're almost all wiped out. But you need to legitimize and say, okay, listen, we, I'm not going to deal ever in Dogecoin or anyone else. I'm going to deal in, in in Bitcoin or Arithium. And you need to get rid of them. So once you once you have a small number of of, of the of these coins out there, Bitcoin being the major coins, it becomes stable. It becomes low vol. Then it becomes people are more comfortable in using it to transact. In, in e-commerce, and this is what you were talking about. That's why I think it can coincide. But the governments realize also that their paper money, no one carries paper anymore, and it's it's inefficient, it's too expensive, and they're going to digitize their own currency. So yeah. you're, you're never going to get rid of the, U, the, the, the UK guilt or the UK pound or the, or, the, or the euro. Well, the euro is going to have its own problems, but the US dollar will always be there, the Chinese renminbi. Oh, but they'll man. digitize their currencies because everyone's every we're in a cash society right so you can easily digitize a currency but there's always going to be there's always because the technology is open source you can't stop it there's going to be room for bitcoin and other stable type coins to, ex, to exist globally outside of the, the 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 global currency system right they're going to they're going to operate on their own level and that's going to create more activity which is good right to me, it's, more, it's good. It's not good for the banks because the banks yeah. are the big losers at the end of the day. Not the governments, but the banks. Yeah. They'll yeah. lose control of their currency or, or, their, or the money. They need the money to make money. Right? Banks well, make money on a float. That's all they make money on. They make it on a float. Yeah, That's it. yeah absolutely. Hey, guys, if you're, if you're listening, 
<laughs> man, I'm, I just want to apologize. We're getting into some real heavy stuff here, and uh, we we could probably talk for quite a while about these these items because it gets into so many different geopolitical issues that. Uh, you know, this is really wide ranging when you talk about this stuff. So, you know, thanks for hanging with us. Um, but it's important to know the things that are going on in the background and these forces, because it's so difficult when you get into the investing world. When we talk about uh, creating wealth, you know, uh, I t the show is Leadership to Wealth. And you're talking about building wealth. You have to know the rules of the game. That's one of the most important things in understanding where can you go to make it such that you're able to play, which is one of the reasons I, I like uh, what you've created with the Braun Network, because it you've given the power back to the investors and to the companies to be able to uh, to be able to actually converse with who wants to invest and to be able to converse with the actual company so you know you're actually what you're actually getting do some of your own due diligence be able to um get a feel for for where you're putting your money and how you're building your wealth because you know i heard it said um you know you you want to invest in things that change people's lives and because if you're if you're changing people's lives, there will always be value in that. If it if it's something of value to people, there's going to be value as opposed to um, people put their money into things all the time and they have no idea what the value is of any of those things. Somebody just sold them this idea that they're going to make money and and they have no idea. So, um, OK. Uh, so <laughs> we could just, Thomas, we could go into a lot of different areas here, but what I want to ask, um, now is, you know, 30 year career in finance, 30 year career in, in investing, you literally a professional investor. And, um, now how do you, how do you go through that type of a life, get to this point? What were some of the highs and lows that? that have been able to, that you've been able to extrapolate lessons along the way that have enabled you to get to this point to build what you're building now? Yeah, I think, I think for, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, uh, it's just perseverance because I think, you know, you know, throughout my career, I've, I guess I had a good career in a sense. I can't complain about it. Um, but there are a lot of there are a lot of ups and downs. I was fired a few times. I you know I, I tried the entrepreneurial thing a few times, uh, failed pretty much every time. And um, I think early in my career, when I was working for Merrill Lynch as a salesperson, as a young person, getting you know people hanging up on me. No one wants to talk to you when you're a young kid. And people just saying just just don't stop, right? The idea of just don't stop, just keep going. You know, create that thick skin. That's what you have to do as when you're an entrepreneur. You, you, you can't take what someone, like I said to people on social media, don't read the comments because if you read the comments, they're all going to be, you're going to find, you're going to focus on the, the one out of a hundred is going to be negative. You're going to focus on the negative one. So you need, you need to just take the negative energy and, and, and thrive on it. Right. So just, yeah. just don't quit. I mean, perseverance is the most important thing for an entrepreneur or even a successful business person. You can't never let anything get you down and you could never quit. 
So mm-hmm. one of the things that is, is unique for me is I started as an entrepreneur at a very late age. Like most people are looking at retirement and I don't think I could ever retire. So I'm like, I'm going to try this. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a 25 or 27 year old developer, but I'm going to give it a best shot. I had the, you know, all the skills necessary. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of risk involved and you have to be able to, I mean, my career, was always about managing risk. So I'm a good risk manager that that helps a lot. Um, but it, it is a risky thing when you when you go out on your own, you probably know this as well. Starting something from zero, man, you're going against some of these institutions with billions of dollars and it and that's where we're in that space. And we started literally from zero with my own money. And yeah. uh it's been it's been very tough. But yeah, it's the whole idea is that it, it should be tough because it was easy. Everybody would do Everybody it. Everybody do it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm with you. And I'll say this. At this point, for me, I can't really imagine going back to, you know, the, the nine to five. I it, There are times where I think, you know what? Why couldn't I just be that guy? Why couldn't I just be that person and, and, and work a regular job and do that and then clock out at the end of the day? And But at the same time, I think to myself... That is scarier than anything that we deal with. I mean, initially, you've got to you got to learn how that process goes. You've got to learn everything from you know paying your taxes and uh, you know putting money aside for because you're going to have the ups and the downs and figuring all of those things out. What do people want? How do I make money? How do I get you know? Because everyone has this great idea in entrepreneurship, and then you, but then you realize that you. Somewhere along the way, you realize that my ideas, it doesn't really matter what ideas I have. What do people actually want? What do they actually need, right? And how how can I create something that's of service to people, right? And so, you know, so when I hear what what you're building over there, you're, uh, you're really looking at that connection and and uh, trying trying to help people out with what they need, being able to get to uh, the actual investments and being able to get to the actual investors. So uh, I think a f- phenomenal, phenomenal job there, continuing to build. How do you how do you make money with the with your social network? Yeah, so we don't charge investors for to download our application <clears throat> from the Google Store or um, the App Store. Or the app, and, yeah. Um, so what we do is we get paid on the back end by the companies. <clears throat> the companies pay us a small fee to extract all the information, make it available. We, we build out the network and we bring the eyeball. So, and it's it's something that they're used to doing because they're already paying. Th- they're already throwing away thousands of dollars with PR firms and traveling all over. So the return on what they pay us is astronomical versus their return their investment their other which is almost zero they don't they don't even know they can't they can't quantify the return so we have a pretty good i think a pretty good business model because you yeah. know we we don't charge i mean we have other features that we charge for with the large investors but on, and essentially we get paid on the back end by the companies too um, and right now we're operating in a freemium model so we're not really charging too many companies yeah. we're just bringing in everyone yeah. Yeah, that's yeah that's the way you do it. That's the way you bring it on. Yeah, it just uh, building so much value that at some point you can't do without, right? So correct. I, I and I, I love 
I even love the fact that you're you're saying you know starting this late um, because I think it's I, I think it's fantastic personally I'm I'm now at a stage where I'm looking at what am I gonna be about for the next 30 years of my life right I know what I've done I know what I've built and now now I'm kind of looking okay I've got another stage because my kids are all going off to university and you know I'm entering into this next stage and so I'm I'm looking at that and going do I want to build something different? Do I want what? How do I want to change what I'm building? And if you're if you're really building in a lane that you enjoy, I think you can do that till they're ready to put you in the ground. Basically, I mean, you you want to be doing something as opposed to there's no such thing as I, I don't know anyone that's retired and then done nothing. And anyone that I do know that's retired and done nothing uh, usually ends up <laughs> usually ends up in the grave pretty quickly. You get, you get old really fast. I know some people, you know, in my in my business, there are some people that made a lot of money at, at young ages and they've accumulated a lot of wealth and they've, you know, retired early. And um, <clears throat> the ones who aren't keeping busy, you see them everywhere, and they just you age they age real fast. Yeah, you just you're able to aggregate your time into what you want to be about what you want to spend time with. And, and I, I think for, you know, for people that are thinking when we talk about leadership to wealth, for people that are thinking I'm going to make money and do nothing, you know, th this is not the show for you. Um, <laughs> this is not the conversation for you because at the end of the day, it all starts with leadership of self. And so the fact that you could go through this whole career and then, and then start building something fresh, something new it just really uh stands that and and shows displays that how much is really going on up here for you and and also what's going on here for you so let me ask this question as we as we wrap up what's next for thomas samuelson what's the next iteration for you and what's what's next for the bronze social network well, I mean, it's all for me. It's all about Bron. This is, uh, you know, I, I say to people this all the time because I, I read sometimes on these, these, these self-help books about entrepreneurism. You know, but always have a plan B. I have no plan B, Neil. This is it. Right. I'm all in, and there is no plan B. So the next step for us is just geographical expansion, right? So as I said, we're, we're we, we pretty much dominate the Latin American region. We've got something. We've got some. You know, we're involved in clean energy, cannabis uh, in the U.S. We, a blockchain and you know expanding on that blueprint people ask me all the time can you can you take your what you're doing can you bring it to asia can you do it in the middle east so so it's just geographic expansion so we have you know you know 70 countries to dominate and it's going to take a long time to do that but you know as we get more successful there's going to be competition so we've got to move fast which is exciting so it's just for us it's just go con conquering country i look at almost like uber right so uber started in san francisco went to different cities and then just kept growing into and that's what you have to do because if you don't the competition is going to come fast and hard so it's it's mm -hmm. all about you know, geographic uh dominance and geographic expansion for us going forward <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like a bit of male a masculine toxicity right there. We're gonna dominate everything right there. Well, Neil, I have no choice, right? Because <laughs> either either I have that vision, yeah, um, or you know, first of all, I think investors 
like let's say VCs who we, we raise money from, they they want to hear that. They they want to hear that type of vision. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's this is not this is not just talk. This is what I really believe in. Yeah. And it's something that because I know the I know the the landscape out there because of, I was fortunate enough to travel to all these places. I know the landscape in most of these countries. Uh, especially places like China, which is a very unique place. I have a very you know unique um, understanding of China. I mean, we have a huge opportunity, but I know that as soon as as soon as people watch this podcast, we're going to get a lot of <laughs> competition. I'm kidding, but you know what I'm, I'm saying is, as the more successful, the more competition comes in. We've already had some competition already, which which is fine. I like competition, so I'm not yeah. worried about it. Well, it's part of the reality of life is that. The moment you come up with any idea, as human beings, we start thinking about the innovation to the next thing. Oh, I'd like this. And one person says, I'm going to keep it the same. And the next person says, let me make this iteration. And sometimes people like that. Sometimes they don't. But uh, that that's just part of what's sort of in our DNA, right? Like we're, we kind of build on what we what we see. Exactly. Okay, I've got another question for you, Thomas. What's the the minimum requirements for, you know, for the investors if they want to uh, join your platform, if they want to come on the app, and and for businesses if they're interested, what do they need to be to be able to capitalize on this opportunity? Easy answer: There are no minimums. There's no we don't differentiate. If uh, we 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 don't charge uh, for our app for all the access to all the information, it's free to investors. Uh, as far as the companies are concerned, as long as they're a publicly traded company and on an exchange, they could join the the the, the, the fee we charge is anyone can afford it. Um, it we're, we're a volume player. So as long as it's a public company, you know, located on some exchange, they're free to free to contact us and, and uh, participate. And again, as far as investors concerned, they join for free and the the information the all the access to that information of hundreds and in the future thousands of companies will be available to them so right 100%. so um okay and uh how, how does your family handle <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> how's your family okay uh, okay I, I gotta talk in a lower toes on you okay so i have three kids they're all out of out of the house so three two of them live on the west coast i'm on the east coast i have another uh daughter who's going to school in europe so they're all out of the house just my wife and i and so you know it's it's the flexibility i mean again if i i couldn't have started this let's say 15 years ago when i had three kids in the house they're all going to school it would have been look uh, fortunately i was working for I was making good money working for these firms and that was good it actually worked out better for me that that this came about at this point in my life because I don't have that, not that it's a burden, I just don't have distractions. And you know, I, I gotta tell you, this is gonna be a very controversial statement, but the reason that most entrepreneurs start, you know, the most successful ones, the ones you read about started young, is because you can't do this with a, a married person with kids, young kids, it's very nearly, you know, it's very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. you something's gonna suffer. You're gonna get divorced. Your kids are going to hate you, and if you look at, you know, look at Steve Jobs, and I mean, they, you know, they, Bezos, all these, they have the same issues, right? These, um, and so, you know, I started this knowing full well that I'm going to have some issues in my personal life, and fortunately, nothing's happened yet. But as a, you know, because you need to be married to the business, right? 
Mm-hmm. You have a, you have a wife, but you need to be married, and no one is going to invest in your business unless you're 110 percent committed, and that is your life. Mm-hmm. And as an entrepreneur, and to give it's the good and bad parts of entrepreneur, there's a lot of good things I can talk about, but the bad part is, or what any successful entrepreneur knows is that has to know is that this is going to be your life, and if it's going it's going to hurt your family, unfortunately, you have to accept it. And just keep moving on. There's no what. There's no other way around it. And it's a yeah. very, very, it's it's controversial. But I'm glad you asked that question because it's it's a necessary yeah. evil. And I'm fortunate that I'm at a stage in life where I don't have to worry about those other things. So it's, you know, right. I can yeah. focus thousand percent on my company. Yeah, I I think one thing that um, that people miss when they when they fall in love with the idea of entrepreneurship is. I, I don't know if it's even you fall in love with the business or whatever. The reality is that there is so much energy that goes on, so much thought energy. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there. You're you're listening and you know your brain's always going. You're always thinking about these things. And and that, that consciousness, that focus on this item is taken away from from these other items, right? From these other things in your life. And it's why so often the best of the best in any area of life, they usually are, they're strong there and they're weak in other areas because there's so much thought that goes into it. And it's not like you're trying to, uh, you know, oh, I, I'm in love with the business, so to say. It's just part of your makeup right your your brain works in such a way that you you focus into these areas and and it's uh hard to to take it off of that high that highway right it's like a highway you're going really fast and trying to to move it along i you know one of the things that i i just want to say this for myself because i've still got teenage kids one of the things i've had to get comfortable with is that i've got to be so protective of time with the family. Like I can't let anything take from this time, which virtually impossible, but I've got to be so committed to giving that. Otherwise it it's gone because it doesn't come back. Right. And, and so, yes, if you can do it when you're young, yes. If you can do it when you're older, if you're doing it in between, you've got to really get, angry vicious you know uh about protecting that time for for your family or they will suffer and that that's yeah. part of the reality and um and realize that it's it's not because you don't love them i think that's one of the f- the false parts for entrepreneurs is we think oh we don't maybe we don't care about this person or maybe we're just it, we just care about these other things but in reality it's just the thought processes and there's more time spent in these areas. Right. And so it takes away from the others. So, uh, I really want to thank you for sharing (laughs) some of the reality of what that's like in building and, um, but even the passion to build, 
you know, this new endeavor and uh, and for sharing with us, you know, what what you're up to really even right out of the pandemic, one of the worst times, first global <laughs> pandemic in the history of the world. And this man, Thomas Samuelson, where where can we find you, Thomas, before? Sure. Uh, a couple of things. So you can um, go to the our, our, our download our app. It's a Braun. You can do Braun, B-R-O-N network. So Braun network, two ends dot com, Braun network dot com. You can download our app. I also have a YouTube channel. If you want to hear me rant and rave about markets, you know, right. what I do is, you know why I call it investing confidential. Yes, because um, all of the information that people get in the, let's say, CNBC or BCN in Canada, where, or the, and then even online, you know, it's just a lot. It's a lot of, you know, just they're all gurgling the same information, right? It's all oh, whatever is on the newspapers. And what I try to do is tell, basically tell you what's going on, but behind the scenes from my perspective, right? So I have an inside person, like an insider. Right? So it's like I'm, I'm giving you, it's like, you know, when everyone talks about, I'll give you one example, and you're a real estate guy, right? <clears throat> so everyone's talking about the housing collapse, which I called, you know, six months ago. And they're saying, oh, it's because of, you know, the, the mortgage rates and this and that. And <clears throat> I went on one rant and I was like, you people have, the people that are telling you that the real estate market in the U.S. is collapsing because of mortgage rates have no clue what they're talking about. Because the real estate market in the U.S., the, the move over the last 10 years, over the last three years, had nothing to do with mortgage rates at zero, had everything to do with the fact that Blackstone, a bunch of other hedge funds, and a bunch of public companies have been buying thousands of houses sight unseen for, for months and years on end, taking all the supply off the market, driving prices up. And I identified this a few years ago through anecdotal evidence. Company called a public company called Open Door Technology, symbol OPN. The stock was 28 when I started researching it, and I basically said this company is going to zero. The stock's now below three. Now I'm not a soothsayer. I just said, you you're a real estate guy, and if I said to you, hey Neil, I'm going to give you you know a couple of million dollars and just go on Google Maps and buy me some real estate, you'd be like, are you crazy? I mean, think about. It. What is the what is the everyone in the world knows one thing location 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 well Blackstone and all these hedge funds and all these public companies raised billions of dollars and what did they do they just bought it sight unseen and they destroyed what I say the American dream by driving the prices up so when you hear people say oh it's mortgage rates no that has nothing to do with mortgage rates everything to do with the fact that these institutions have, have, have used leverage and used the fact that rates were going to zero, which they knew and they took advantage of, to, to buy real estate, rent things out and say, oh, we're just going to buy this. We don't care what we pay for these houses. We're just going to rent it out because we've got all these idiots that want to rent and we'll let we'll leverage it, you know, 20 times. So even though we only get, you know, this a 3% return on the house or we don't care because we're going to leverage it 20 times and we're going to return 15, 20% to our investors on a cash basis. That's all gone. These guys are these guys are all going to go to zero because Blackstone six months ago turned from the largest buyer to now the largest seller. They're not saying that, but if you do any kind of invent, you could see that they're putting they're putting their inventory on the market at a discount. Open door is going to go bankrupt. They 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 this is a public company, Zillow, which was the, the canary in a coal mine a year ago. They raise all this money. They put all these houses. Six months later, they they took you know two billion dollar write down. 
because everything they bought was underwater. And they were smart enough to dump it all at a huge, took a big loss on a quarterly basis and went on. But this is what's happening. And it's happening in other countries, probably happening in Canada too, is that this artificial market, this artificial bubble was, was, com was a complete sham from day one. It was like, it's like the 2008 housing crisis, except the fact that it's not individuals holding the bag, it's these big institutions. But mm -hmm. no one's hearing about it because they're the big advertisers on media and they're, they're the ones who pay all the money to the banks. So no one's understanding, but it is, this is why this thing is collapsing. You, you know, one of the things that, um, when you're talking about that, we, it, it's actually considered fraud if you or I were to do that, right? If, uh, 100%. We, right. We've seen it. We've seen it here in Canada. I'm sure it's been done in the States where someone will come in, they've got money. You come into a neighborhood, you buy a house, you pay a hundred thousand dollars over the asking price. And then you buy another house on the street and you pay $100,000 over the asking price. You've immediately set a new price for that neighborhood. Now, all of a sudden, everybody else's people are, oh, yeah, okay, this is the price for that. And so they're selling their houses. And then what do they come back and do once, once that's now the market price? Those two properties that they bought, they go and they sell them. And uh, they've artificially raised the price across the board in that neighborhood. And, but they've taken their money and they've, they've run. And that's considered fraud. Meanwhile, if you do it on a large enough scale, that's just, it's good business, I it's suppose. Investing. Right? It's investing. <laughs> you know, um, having said that, you, you know, one of the things that I, I do talk with people around that one is, you know, there is an importance in understanding the interest rates or that which you can actually control. You may not be able to control some of these outside forces, but there are still more than enough ways to be able to protect yourself within that, uh, within that, um, you know, eco, if you want to call it that or whatever, that industry, right? So, um, but wow, yes, absolutely. There's, there's so many, so many different aspects to it that we could get into when, because when COVID hit, I started telling people, here's what's going to happen. The governments of the world are already telling us what they're going to do. So we need to shift. We need to acquire more properties. But, you know, everything's going to go up. Get some hard assets. Everything's going up. We watch everything go up. And, and then I started telling people, all right, everything's going down, including crypto, uh, including the stock market. You know, I, I post on LinkedIn. I write this stuff. And, and. I got so much shade. People were like, oh, what do you, you don't know what you're talking about. Crypto to the moon. This. I said, nope, no, none. All of this stuff has to drop because the people that don't know what they're doing have been throwing away money. And, and even if crypto has a value, even gold and silver that have value, the moment people are exposed on the other end, they have to take money. They can't keep flowing money into these things because inflation is eating away at them on the other side. So 100%. the YouTube channel, if you want to hear me rant and rave about markets, it's called uh, Investing Confidential on YouTube. But outside of that, you Love know, it. it's just you can download our app and, and be part of that community of investors and companies. And again, if you want to hear me rant and rave about markets, you can go to my YouTube channel, Investing Confidential. 
Oh, that's awesome. Guys, go check out Investing Confidential on YouTube and, uh, and of course, the Braun Network. You can download the app in the Google Store and the App Store. And, uh, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on. I'm, gotcha. we, we could... 